Today on Government Matters, trillions of dollars in spending to fight the coronavirus and the economic pain it's brought. Stopping waste, fraud and abuse with the leader of the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee. A model for the future for overseeing big money payouts. The executive director of the PRAC, Bob Westbrooks, on the new model for oversight of the future. And a revamp for one of the administration's biggest acquisition goals. The administrator of federal procurement policy, Michael Wooten, tells you what's coming next. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Pandemic Response Accountability Committee will oversee the distribution of more than $2 trillion from the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. A new strategic plan lays out the oversight projects and goals the PRAC will take on over the next five years. Robert Westbrooks is executive director of the PRAC. Bob, thanks for coming on the program. Tell me about the mission first that you're charged with uh, taking on. Absolutely, Francis. As you mentioned, and it's good to be with you. Thank you. Good to see you again. So as you mentioned, today Congress has appropriated over $2.4 trillion in COVID-19 um, relief and more is likely on the way. There have been over 150,000 deaths in America and 4.5 confirmed cases. Our charge, our responsibility is to, on behalf of the American people, to um, promote transparency over the expenditure of those funds and the federal government's coronavirus relief efforts to identify waste, fraud, uh, abuse, and mismanagement, and to uh, identify and mitigate risks that uh, cross agency and program boundaries. When I first read about the establishment of the PRAC, it struck me that I was reminded of the Troubled Asset Relief Program, uh, the Recovery Accountability and Transparency Board, and other efforts. Is this the same idea, Bob? There, yeah, it's a similar concept. It's probably closest to uh, the RAT board. Um, if you look at the statute, um, Congress took the Recovery Act provisions for the accountability mechanism um, and they updated it for, uh, for modern times. So um, some of the, uh, the, the things that are different uh, relate to the governance structure. So we have, uh, you know, the, 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 the committee itself uh, and the appointment of individual IGs to it, and then the appointment of a full-time executive director myself, as well as a full-time deputy executive director. Um, and there are some other changes as well. Uh, so there are some best practices and lessons learned from those days that we are certainly applying um, in real time. At the same time, um, times have changed. We're dealing with three times, at least three times a, a large a number in, in terms of spending. Um, we're dealing with an environment where uh, federal government transparency has changed and improved, certainly. Um, we're dealing with an environment where individual IGs uh, have their own native data analytics capabilities that didn't exist back then. And we're dealing with the time where one of the, the advantages that the recovery board had was, uh, you know, they had a senior level, uh, senior official uh, sponsor who uh, was named the recovery czar, who was a a force multiplier and working with OMB and the agencies to affect a lot of the, the transparency mechanisms. Uh, we are we are building on their successes. 
What has changed as far as the quality of the data that you'll be able to look at? I recall that the incident, I don't remember whether it was TARP or the RAT board, but a bunch of data came out and it indicated that there were 16 congressional districts in Maryland where this money was going. There are only eight congressional districts. There was a duplication somewhere. What's changed in the interim 8, 10, 12 years to give you confidence that you're, the tool that we'll talk about in a moment will yield the kind of results that you want it to? Well, certainly um, the Data Act itself and the audits that were called for under the Data Act by the individual IGs and GAO um, do provide uh, you know, some degree uh, of uh, visibility into data quality. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'd be hesitant to sort of quantify um, my confidence level or the PRAC's confidence level in data quality, um, but I will. I think it's fair to say that it remains a concern. Uh, there remain to be uh, issues that uh, I think, with additional guidance and uh, additional system controls, that could be improved. There have been media reports about this, where. Um, uh, particularly in the uh, payroll protection program, there have been news stories about uh, the quality of data with um, you know, some folks that have enlisted as having received loans, uh, say they've never gotten them, and then the loan amounts were off for others. So uh, data quality, I think, will always be a concern and will always be the North Star for us that we we'll towards. The tool that I referred to is called the Track the Money tool. It's available at pandemic.oversight.gov. What does it do, Bob? Where is it drawing information from? And what do you want people to be able to do with it? Yeah, great question. So just a little bit of context for us. The, uh, Congress gave us some pretty aggressive timelines uh, in the CARES Act. So the act was enacted on March 27th and we had 30 days to get the website up and running. And the committee came together and did that. They both appointed uh, myself as executive director and launched the website. We are limited by the data that we get from OMB and the agencies. So right now the, the data has on it and track the money. It's got the funds in the, in the for, uh, COVID bills. It has it listed uh, in program, broken out by program areas. And the first set of data that we have up there is contracting data that we get from the uh, from FPDS Next Generation. We upload and refresh that data every Tuesday. When OMB issued their guidance on uh, April 10th, you know, very shortly after the CARES Act was enacted, on April 10th they issued guidance in a circular that said uh, agencies and recipients can largely rely upon existing reporting mechanisms, but the first round of COVID identified spending data would be available at the end of July. So we're looking for Monday to get a tranche of data from uh, USA spending that will greatly enhance our uh, track the money tool. We're also updating our website uh, to, to look much beyond the government spending. So right now, if you look at it as contract data um, exclusively, and we'll be getting the, the larger USA spending data set uh, shortly, and then the, the plan for us moving forward uh, once we onboard uh, and recruit a, a chief data officer to so identify data sets around the government that we can enrich the data that we get. We're not going to rely exclusively on USA spending and its uh, feeder systems, but uh, we will, in our five-year mandate, we will continuously seek to improve and, uh, and create a, a much clearer picture on, on federal spending. Bob, stay with me a minute. I want to talk about the game plan for CARES Act oversight when we come back straight ahead on Government Matters. My conversation with Bob Westbrooks continues. You're watching ABC7.
Welcome back. Minimizing waste, fraud, and abuse in the CARES Act will require the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee to use data in new ways. Members of the committee can look back at previous oversight efforts with guidance. More now with Bob Westbrooks, Executive Director of the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee. Bob, we talked in the first part of our conversation about the strategic plan and how you're taking uh, lessons learned from previous oversight efforts like the RAT Board and TARP. How are you applying those lessons and what are you using now that maybe wasn't available for those two efforts or other oversight efforts in the past? Absolutely. So um, last week we issued our and released our uh, strategic plan that's on our website at pandemic.oversight.gov. I encourage your, uh, your, your viewers to, uh, to visit our site. Uh, in our strategic plan, we identified four top level goals. Uh, that we'll be striving towards, you know, it's it's uh, it's transparency, it's coordinated, comprehensive oversight, uh, it's preventing waste, fraud, abuse, and mismanagement, and it's ensuring effective and efficient operations of the practice itself. Um, we have um, we are structured one of our uh, the way that we have structured one of our, our main directorates is oversight and accountability that we are staffing now. Um, at the same time, and we have authority under the law to conduct our own independent audits, reviews, and investigations, as well as collaborate uh, or provide support to the IGs. One of the, the, uh, the lessons or acknowledgements that we have uh, in the strategic plan is, is recognizing the complexity of federal programs and recognizing the expertise and institutional knowledge of the individual inspectors general. So uh, oversight is being conducted right now by the individual IGs and uh, I would encourage uh, viewers to take a look at what's going on in places like Treasury OIG or the SBA OIG. There's a lot of activity going on. Uh, Department of Justice with their work, uh, looking at the, uh, doing inspections in the Bureau of Prisons and chip checks. There's a lot of activity going on. Our, our focus is, is coordinating and ensuring collaboration across the community. The, the, the way the committee is structured, there are subcommittees. So there's a subcommittee for healthcare, for example, that's uh, spends a lot of time and energy focusing on how they can provide insights now to policymakers on issues that matter and issues of, of life and death uh, in many instances. So we're developing, so the next step for us is developing our work plan. Congress was kind enough in the act itself to identify some projects for us to look at. Um, and we will certainly be looking at those projects. There are things that you would expect to be in there, like sole source contracting, training and staffing, uh, and technology tools available to the acquisitions workforce, those kinds of projects. We'll be doing those and more. We'll be developing a, a work plan uh, as we get uh, staff fully on board. One of the biggest lessons, though, is in the data analytics area, right? And I mentioned before, the um, in 2009, not many inspector general offices had a data analytics capability, and now many of our offices are on the leading edge and have very robust programs. So we're in, in no way uh, seek to duplicate what's going on. We're trying to find the value to leverage existing resources and develop really a center of excellence model where we're getting the best of analytics capabilities within the different offices and combine them and sharing them uh, around the community, as well as bringing in minds outside of the oversight community. We've reached out to academia, for example, and we really want to tap into that that field. I think there's a lot of folks out there outside Washington, D.C. that have a, a lot to add here, and we really want to crowdsource the problem of transparency. 
With the advent, the evolution of the collaboration among inspectors general with SIGI over the last number of years and so on, it strikes me this is, a, this is potentially kind of a new era for collaboration among inspectors general. I'm not sure I recall with either the RAT board or TARP the, the high level of collaboration that you're talking about uh, in this effort, Bob. Am I remembering right? Yeah. I, I think you have it right, and you know I've, I've uh, served as IG for the last five years at the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Uh, before taking this job, I am um, just uh, amazed beyond words at the individual efforts of the IGs, and I think that's one of the things that's that's different. It's not only their governing board, but each office is not only doing their normal day job, but if you think about it and you read the news, many of those offices, their missions have dramatically uh, become dramatically more complicated and challenging, right? And you take SBA, again, for example, not only are we all trying to conduct oversight in the times of global pandemic, but the scope of programs, the amount of money that's going, uh, that's going through their agencies has increased significantly. Sometimes it's new programs that we have to oversee. So the level of coordination cooperation has been absolutely extraordinary from, uh, from the IG. Um, we have about a minute left, Bob. Um, what does accountability look like? Maybe that's a more existential than operational question, but is it just as simple as catching people engaging in waste, fraud, abuse, and mismanagement, or is there more to it than that? No, I think there's the three components. I think it's accountability is transparency, so we have eyes on. And I think what you're seeing now, you see many, many news stories right now about um, people raising issues because they've had uh, – uh, access to, to government data, spending data, they've raised issues about whether the PPP program is going to the right people. Um, so I think, you know, accountability is really the three branches of transparency, accountability, and oversight. And we're, we're really stressing um, insights now and looking at more agile oversight projects to give Congress uh, these, these clear insights uh, in addition to our more traditional oversight yellow book uh, standard audits. Bob Westbrooks, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you here. My pleasure. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Francis. Up next, getting goods and services to agencies faster. Straight ahead on Government Matters. Streamlining acquisition to make it frictionless. You're watching ABC7. One of the most important cross-agency priority goals for acquisition has a new name, some new leaders, and some new measures. The cap goal, formerly known as Improved Management of Major Acquisitions, is now Frictionless Acquisition. One of the new leaders of the goal is Michael Wooten, Administrator for Federal Procurement Policy at the Office of Management and Budget. Mike, welcome. It's good to see you again. What's the reason for the name change here, and what's under the hood in the changes that you've made in this cap goal? Well, uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, uh, it's great to reconnect. Uh, it's been a while. Um, this is a great opportunity for us to talk about the frictionless acquisition cap goal. We're excited about that. So we view the frictionless acquisition uh, as a, uh, or the frictionless acquisition cap goal as a capstone cap goal. And that is that it, it it's a management platform to bring together ongoing and new work to modernize the arc of acquisition, which I'll be talking more about, but it modernizes the arc of acquisition for both common and complex acquisitions from requirements development through contractor performance assessment. So it's 
it's critical in expanding our, our focus, again, across the arc of acquisition. So at its birth, frictionless acquisition uh, focused on reducing the time between I need and I got. I wanted to put it in the simplest terms because I know that some of the ways we roll this out can uh, seem a little technical and I want to make sure that the language is very clear. So again, at its birth, frictionless acquisition focused on reducing the time between I need and I got. I need a thing uh, when, when, we, when we decide what the requirement is and when we actually have it delivered. I need and I got. So it encompasses a rich set of activities that, that uh, improve program management, uh, contracting, and performance management, the, the full cycle of mission support activities. And the supporting pillars also focus on some very important administrative uh, or administration priorities, and that's reducing barriers to entry and increasing the number of entities we do business with. Uh, and that includes uh, small business, uh, uh, small or, or new entrants in, in small business. So frictionless acquisition relies on a key perspective also. Now this is an important uh, uh, thing to note. We, we, we must recognize and understand the considerable flexibility built into our laws and regulations. Uh, I digress a second, but when I went through the confirmation hearing process, I was asked where we, are we going to cut? Uh, the focus there uh, with that question was uh, cutting back some of the complexity of, reg uh, of regulations. But the reality is that some agencies uh, do a better job under the same system of regulations than others. So we have to ask ourselves why it takes some agencies six months to purchase a particular good or service when another agency can purchase the same exact good or service in six uh, weeks instead of six months. Uh, both are operating within the same regulatory constraints. Put it this way, the reign of regulation falls equally upon all heads. But under, fric under frictionless acquisition, under this initiative, we want to ensure that agencies share best practices, especially those best practices that reduce the time between I need and I got. Mike, there are a number of changes that I see this time around. And one of the things that struck me is as I look through the key milestones for each of the three strategies here, the change from last quarter said new on all of these. You've really revamped the way that you're approaching this completely, haven't you? That, that, that is correct. Uh, this, this, is, this is a, a, uh, a, a particularly uh, new approach, but, uh, but, but fundamentally under frictionless acquisition, we're committed to creating a culture of innovation. Uh, I think that's the thing that I, I wanna make sure it gets through very clearly. Committed to a culture of innovation to leveraging uh, the flexibility that I just talked about, to changing our processes and to creating a new and better normal. And I think that's an appropriate phrase given these times, a new and better normal uh, for our workforce, for our contractors and for our customers. We just have a couple of minutes left. This arc of acquisition that you referred to earlier is a great slide uh, that I encourage people to go look at on the President's Management Agenda website where your update is now posted. Uh, but the arc of acquisition really covers the entire spectrum. Um, I see that you have a much larger space devoted to common requirements than devoted to complex requirements. What's the, the story behind that, Mike? Well, the, the story is, I'm, I'm grateful for you asking that question because the story is one that needs to be told. Everybody needs to understand this. 
we spend a lot of time and energy focusing on the the um, non-commercial items, the, the major systems buys, and they are important. Uh, they, they deliver such important national um, uh, equipment uh, and sometimes even uh, services. But the fact is that this, this arc of acquisition depicts where the majority of buys are. And the majority of buys are, 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 are more common buys. And, and so we wanted to make sure that that was clear. That was another reason for the transition to frictionless acquisition. We wanted to, uh, to evolve the former capstone that focused on major acquisitions to a capstone that fully entails the entire arc of acquisition. There is so much more here that I would like to dig into, Mike, and we don't have time, but I'm grateful for you coming on, and it's a good reason for us to invite you back. Thanks very much. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. Don't forget, if you missed an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.